Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. So great seeing you all. Great job being in the house of God today on a cold December morning. It's a great day in the house of God. I'm believing it. I'm believing God has a word for you today. And that's the thing about receiving from God is usually you have to expect for him that he's willing and ready and able to give to you this morning. So my hope is that your hearts are ready for what God has for you this morning. I know he's ready to speak to you. I know he's always speaking. It's just a question of if we are listening. Amen. Amen. Who has their Bible this morning? Let me see it lifted up in the air. I got my Bible right here. Say, this is my Bible. Say, speak to me, Bible. In Jesus' name. Hey, come on. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be reading out of today. I was finishing the message last week, and I was driving home, and I took my little girl, Eva. She's six with me, and she's in the back of the car, and she said, Papa, you need to do a sermon about the prodigal son, and immediately my heart leaped, and the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, you do. And I was like, okay, Jesus, I'll do that. And then God said, it's not the prodigal son, though, like, which is how we are normally, that's usually how it's communicated in church. It's actually the, the story of two sons. And I felt so strong upon my heart that this is what we needed to talk about, that we're not going to do a typical Christmas leading up into Christmas, and then we're going to talk about Joseph and Mary and then the Magi. We might do that on Christmas Eve. But I think over the next three weeks during this Christmas series, God is trying to describe like, hey, I I came into the world, yes, but I need you to help people see where they're at and how I still came to them. And I think nothing clearly communicates that better in the scripture than the story of the two sons, that we're able to really understand the heart of a father. And I'm excited to be able to share this word with you today. So if you want to kind of take notes and, and get ahead in the next week's sermon, uh, or maybe you want to just come prepared and look extra spiritual, you can have it tabbed in your Bible, Luke 15. So that when I say open up your Bible to Luke 15, you'd be like, oh, wow, found it right away, Pastor. <laughs> Almost as if you were uh, uh, anticipating me stop talking about it. So um, today we're going to kind of give a, a little bit of a, an overview. We'll see how, how much God wants to dive into uh, each son. And uh, just, just depending on, on where we, we land today, we'll determine where we pick off next week, pick up next week. And uh, so we're starting in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. He's at a Pharisee's house, actually. And he's talking about the lost coin. And then he talks about the lost sheep. And then he comes and he talks about, my Bible actually calls the parable of the lost son. But don't let that title fool you. That's, that was put in there by man, not by God. Uh, Jesus starts it out like this in verse 11. He says, there was a man who had two sons, which means we cannot neglect the story of either one. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That was basically telling his dad, hey, you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. And so his dad did it. I mean, good for him. Back then, he probably could have stoned his son for making such a request. Verse 13, not long after that, 
the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went away, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, basically when he came to his end, have you, any of you ever had that point in your life where you came to your senses and you're like, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Uh, it's important that when you have that thought of why am I here, why am I coming to my senses, why am I doing this, that you have the heart and know the heart of the Father that you're turn, returning to. When you come to your senses, that is a good thing. Don't ever think, well, I've gone this far. Miles will just keep on going. It is never too late to turn back. While your heart's still breathing, you can still turn back and you can come to your senses. You can say, God, I realized I got caught in what I wanted again, so I'm going to come back to you. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That was an identity that he had upon himself. So he got up and went to his father. But get this, it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him, which meant that his father was looking for him. That when he left, he never stopped looking for him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, something that a patriarch, it was detestable for a patriarch to do at that time, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But the story doesn't stop there. And it's important that we read things within context that we could stop there and we could have a great sermon and a great message, but I feel like what God wants to speak to us over the next three weeks is pertaining to the entirety of this sermon. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Remember, it's a parable of two sons. The older son was in the field working. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son is still calling him his son. The father said, you are always with me, 
and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'm talking to you today about, and probably for the next three weeks, a tale of two sons. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you. I thank you that your word goes forth and it doesn't return to you void but it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. So right now, God, I pray that you'd open up our hearts to receive you today. God, we're eager and we're ready to hear what you have for us. So Holy Spirit, won't you use this vessel right here to share your word truthfully, boldly, full of courage and strength in Jesus' mighty name. And right now, church, if you're ready for the preaching of the word of God, would you open up your hands and say these words after me? Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for the Word of God this morning. Come on. Come on. My wife has a dog. I say my wife has a dog because it's her dog. I bought her the dog when she got her master's degree. I was like, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to buy you uh, anything that you want, but she wanted a puppy. So I purchased her a dog and we bought a Shiba Inu. Maybe everyone familiar with the Shiba Inus. There's the puppies that you see on the Shiba coin, the Dogecoin. It's that puppy. You know, you see the, the meme of the puppy that's like scared and the puppy that's like on steroids. It's that dog. It's that dog. This dog has a tendency to run away. If you've ever been in our house, you've probably chased the dog once or twice maybe three times before in your life. You've maybe jumped over some fences, torn your pants open, trying to get the dog. And um, I've gotten to the point now when the dog runs away that it doesn't even affect me. <laughs> in fact, last week, this dog ran away and I didn't even flinch. I was at the mailbox. The kids opened the garage door and they came out to say hi. And then I all of a sudden heard one of them yelling, Ruby's out! And I just kept grabbing the mail and I just, I'm like, that dog's gone, man. There's no way I'm going to catch it. I could run after it right now, but that thing is, it's already in the next block right now. So I just kept running inside and all the kids were, they lost it, man. I mean, they're like, Papa, Ruby ran away. We got to go get her. I was like, yeah, we'll get her. But then another side came in. The Papa that isn't so much like the provider, like, hey, don't worry. It's going to be okay. But kind of like, I'm tired of this dog. And I said these words I should not have said because it made the matter worse. I said, yep, Ruby's going to die. <laughs> you don't say that to a three-year-old. Yeah, your dog's going to die. Welcome to life. Life's not fair, daughter. <laughs> you don't say that. You don't say that. You don't say that because then they all cried. They, they, they cried. And now I'm like, oh, I've made this bad. And I got in the car and I just left. And by that time, Kelly had already seen me in the car driving off to go get her dog. And, uh, but we love our dog. We love Ruby. Uh, we couldn't imagine a life without her. Uh, and uh, we care for her. But how many know that even when something bad happens, you can make it worse kind of by how you talk about it. And I think that the way that I approach that process was very poor. I do not recommend it. But sometimes you got to try it before you realize how stupid that really was. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to our dog. I hope that we have her for the next 10, 15 years. 
at least, and who knows, I'm not saying this publicly, but I am. Maybe we might get another dog if something happens to Ruby. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I want to get John Wick's dog. Not the one that died. Like the other one, the gray pit bull, you know. So, but I, I say this story all to, not, not necessarily to make light of the story, um, but to, to kind of show how easy it is for us to run away from God. That I don't know what happened to this dog. Now, we've taken them some time to try to find out why Ruby is so skittish because her, her younger puppies are, are pretty good. Like, she's had puppies. We've bred her before, and her puppies are pretty well-tamed, but she loves to just get out and run away. And I think for us to realize that we have a, a, a proclivity to run away from the things that God has called us towards. It's in our nature. Now, there, there's typically two different types of people within uh, uh, the world. And there's the ones that are really love the, the strictness and the, the rules. Just tell me how far I should go and how far I shouldn't go. It's typically the older of the family. The oldest is, you know, about the, the parents and whatever the parents want to do. And they, they kind of stay home uh, when they get older. They don't technically usually move far away. And if they do move far away, they usually come back within a period of years. Uh, but the younger child has a tendency to, 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 to be more free spirited. And they, they test the boundaries. And then sometimes they go way over the boundaries. And uh, they, they just want to see everything that this life has to offer. And that's kind of what we see in this tale of two sons. And at first, I want to talk about the younger son because it comes up in the, the, the parable first. This younger son has it made, but we find out that he is still unfulfilled. Uh, we find out that uh, he just wants to do what he wants to do. How many have ever been there before where you're like, you know, everything's kind of going good, but there's just another longing that I want to be able to, to go out and, and just experience. I, I don't really know what it's like to move into another state. I don't really know what it's like to, to, to do something outside of church. Well, I grew up in church my whole life, you know, uh, so I'm just going to kind of push these boundaries. How far is, is too far? And what I found is that even as we test those boundaries, the more that we test them, the easier it gets to break them. And that's why it's important that you don't try to see how far you can go or how far you're allowed to go, but you actually try to stay as far away from that line as possible. Well, honey, I'm texting her, but there's nothing in between us. Well, it's 930 at night. What are you talking to her about? Oh, we're just talking about movies, but there's nothing in between us, right? I know I'm married to you. I chose you. Like, how far can I go? We're not texting about anything. We're just, you might be crossing a line there. You know, it's late at night. There's nothing wrong with texting the opposite sex. But if it affects your wife, you got to have that conversation and be able to be able to yield to what she wants or he wants uh, but you want to kind of stay as far away from that line as possible. Uh, people don't just jump in and they just start smoking meth. It doesn't usually happen like that. That's why they call some drugs gateway drugs. And, and this isn't for me to say, like, the, the, the bottom line that I want to get across today is that your proclivity to go into sin, the Bible, it will get worse and worse the more you continue to push those boundaries, because the devil is here to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Uh, the reason why it's, it's in that order is because uh, he, can, he, can, he can kill your life, uh, and you can still be alive, but you can feel dead on the inside. And before you're completely destroyed, the devil is after completely destroying your life. 
And the, that's what we see what happens with the prodigal son is he runs away from the father. And I don't know your story, but that's me. I've been that before. Time and time again, I've ran away from everything that God has called me to. I've, I've cursed God. Any ever done that before? You've cursed God and you're like, I, I'm not going to do it right now. But there's times where my proclivities get the best of me. And yes, I'm a new creation in Christ, but I'm still fleshly. And there's times where I need to put to death my sinful nature, but there's times that I kind of like it. There's times that I kind of I kind of want to go back to it because it's, it's, it's a little bit easier, I feel. I feel like it's easier just to, to yield to whatever I want to do, but life is not the, should not be the sum, sum total of choices of things that you want to do, but the person that you want to be. And if you're always led by your feelings, you, you will find that it's a very shallow life because it's always consumed with you. And that's what we find happening with the prodigal son is he's living a life that's consumed with himself. And when you live a life that is consumed with just you, you find out that it's, it's shallow and eventually you come to your senses and you say, what have I been doing? And what I love about the story of the prodigal son is that his response after he comes to his senses is saying, I'm going to go back to the father. And I think for some of us, when we come to our senses, we have a warped perspective. I don't know where you may have gotten it from, whether from church or life, whatever it may be, but a warped perspective of how the father perceives you when you run away. And I think for us to have a healthy return to the Father, we have to understand the heart of the Father. And to understand the heart of the Father, we only can see it after we return. So if you're sitting there running away from God thinking, God's not going to welcome me back. God's not, you know, I got to work myself way back to God. I know I've been doing this stuff, but maybe I'm going to go to church a few times or maybe I'm going to read my Bible a little bit and, and, and then maybe I'll pray. I got to kind of work myself back and then I, I'll come back to the Lord. Can I tell you that's out of order? That you actually come back to the Father first before you even step foot in anything else that he's called you to do it's about just reuniting with the father first. Because what do we find in this story? We find as the son was returning, before he returned, what did he rehearse? His apology. Let me read that back again. It says that he came to his senses, said all these things about, how many of them, father, I'm no longer, I'll go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's having this kind of like self-talk. Like he, well, I'm going go to I'm gonna go to God and I'm going to say, hey, this is, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And the Bible says that God knows our thoughts, right? Can I tell you that God is as close as your breath and a repentant heart, a turning back to God is as quick as this. And it's in here. It's not necessarily an action. Now, repentance, you know, this is, I think I need to tackle this today, and we're getting a little bit off, but I feel like it's important for us to understand this, is that as I repent to God, well, sometimes what keeps us from coming back to God is we have the fear that we're going to go back to it. And so I, 
I don't want to come back to the Lord because if I go back to what I did again, then it's kind of like, God, I, I know that I, I don't want to do that anymore, but I, I want to be back with you. But now I feel like I, I don't want to go back to you because I still know my proclivity in that I, 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 in my hardest of hearts, I kind of want to do that. But I also want to do what you've asked me to do, God. And it's that tension that we live in. And it's not, there's certain amounts of people that have a, a heavier attention to, to go back and, and a certain, it's kind of like as you grow in Christ, you start to realize and you come to your senses like, no, I've tried that two, three, 75 times. And I realize now that it doesn't fill me like God fills me. And some of the times though, that what keeps us from coming to the Lord is that thought that, well, God, I'm going to return to my vomit. Does God still accept you and welcome you even though you have the possibility to go back to what you knew? I want to lay this out before we dive into the story of the, the older brother. That when you accepted Jesus into your heart, that is, you repented from your sins, you God, I acknowledge my sin, and I thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for my sin. The moment that Jesus comes into your life, if God accepted you then, and then you walk away from it and you go back to your life, your, your old life, we got to be able to understand the heart of a healthy and a right father and a right standing with God. How does God look at our sin? So this is how we naturally, our tendency of human beings, look at it this way. We think that, okay, as I'm doing well, God is more pleased with me. God, I've been at church three times this month. God, I read my Bible twice this week. Or God, I've read my Bible every day. You must be proud of me. And I want to destroy this false narrative that we have of the Father. That it is not our works that makes God proud of us. It is our alignment with him not the things that we're doing for him. This is important for you to understand because in your life, you will have times where you have mountaintops and you will have times when you have valleys. You'll have times when you're feeling like you're doing the best that you can do and you'll have times where you don't even want to go to church. You don't even want to pray because you know what you did last night. You will have those moments but what I know is that the God of the mountaintops is also the God of the valley. What I know is the Bible says that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, nor nakedness, nor famine, nor sword. Nothing is able to separate me from the love of God that is it. See, the apostles and the writers of the Bible understood this. That's why they're able to say that God is love, that no matter how far I've ran away from God, nothing ever separated me from God because all I have to do is just turn around. Because what if at the entire time that you were running, he was looking for you? And we're in that Christmas season. I like to write songs every once in a while, but... uh you know, we did this. I, I'm too far down. Now I just have to do that. Danny, we might have to edit this part out. Uh, I was thinking of Santa Claus, right? Well, God sees you when you're sleeping. He watches you. And it, it got kind of, it got, 
this is not my theology. I just was making fun of it. Um, but there, there, there's some truth to it. it. It went like this. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Or you're going to rot in hell. You're going to burn. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how I approach conversations. But there it was. So it was, it was, it's just a joke, you know. But I mean, there's truth to it. But there's a different approach that you can have. But I want you to know that God is always watching you. Even when you've turned your back on him, he's always been watching you. So all you got to do is just turn around. It's this narrative of God that if he loves you today, if he loves you right now, is it possible that he will love you tomorrow? If he accepted you today, knowing your proclivity, your propensity to go back to what you've known, if he accepts you today, does he still love you tomorrow? So as I'm, as I'm going to God and, well, God, I'm doing really good now. And uh, he says, yep, I love you, son. Do you think God is in heaven thinking, yep, great job, son. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. Oh, you, you sin. Bad job. Bad dog. Now, that's my human tendency. But God, knowing the end from the beginning, considered what it costs to build the house that is you and knew if I was willing to pay the price today, guess what? I'm willing to pay the price for you tomorrow. God's the one that's on the line right now. He's given everything. It's your choice if you want to reject him. He's not rejecting you. He hasn't turned a wall and turned back on you. We see the father's heart in this scripture. That even as the child was returning, his father saw him and ran to him. Any kind of lie that you have believed in your life that you need to work your way back to God. Rather than just turn around and acknowledge him, God, I screwed up. Or God, I've done this. I'm giving my life to you. Thank you for covering my sins. Have a repentant heart. Bring it before the Lord. I love him. I love the, the son's response. I love how he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That's a healthy mindset. But where he goes wrong is when he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, no matter how far he went, he was still his son. No matter how far he left God, he was still his son. And the father was still his father. Nothing separated that. Nothing diminished that. But I want you to take a moment to put yourselves in the father's shoes. Here he is. He has a son that leaves him. And what we find through the second part of the story is that a son that was never really there for him. We got a son that runs away. So naturally, if a son runs away, he's looking out for him. But he also has one son still home. But that son is there for what the father can give him, not just for the father. You know, as a father, you miss your son and nothing can replace him. But the older son has the appearance of truly loving the father in service, but his heart is far from him. So you serve the father for what the father could give him. 
there's once a story of this king and the farmer, and this farmer developed these amazing, bountiful carrots. The best carrots that you could produce in the kingdom. And he picked out the best carrot, and he brought it before the king and said, King, I've worked hard and tired, but uh, I've produced this amazing carrot. And I want to give it to you for thank you for protecting us and being our king, and I give it freely without anything else in return. King obviously sees the amazing work that the farmer's done and says, hey, I love this work you've done. I have 10 fields that need a worker like you overseeing them. Can you take over all my fields and harvest those and work on those too? And as you work on those, you can live on them. You can call them your own. Just as you work on them, send that produce back to me. Servant's like, all right. Well, a nobleman that was in the king's court saw this and was thinking, man, how can I get ahead? Why race horses? And I want all the horses of the kingdom. So the next day, he brought his prized possession, a black stallion, before the king and said, king, I raised some of the best horses. This is the best horse that I got. I want to give it to you free of charge, nothing in return. The king, knowing the intention of the man's heart, received the horse, said, thank you. Do you want anything else? Knowing that the man was giving it because he was expecting something in return. That was the heart of the older brother. We find him in Luke 15, verse 29. He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, motivation matters. We find, I've been doing all these things for you, God. And I didn't get anything in return. Can I ask you today that if God doesn't give you anything, will you still serve him? Is our motivation sometimes to serve God so that we can actually better control our lives? Well, God, I've done all these things. God, I've been to church. God, I've prayed. So now it should go well with me. The problem is if you have that conclusion about God, your life will end in disappointment because life is unfair. And in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I'll give you whatever you need. No. Take heart for I have overcome the world. As we take heart in Jesus, not in what God is getting for us. There's once this story, it's not in the Bible, but it uses characters of the Bible. And it's the story of Peter and Jesus. And he's got the 12 disciples. And he says to his disciples, hey, I want you all to carry this stone for me. And uh, so they all picked up a stone. And, you know, Peter's kind of like the, the witty one. He's trying to think, all right, well, I'm just going to grab a small little stone. That'll be a lot easier. You got all these other disciples that are picking up some bigger ones and, you know, some bigger boulders. And those guys would be pretty heavy. And Peter's seeing them struggle. So he just picks up a little one. And they're walking with Jesus for some time. And finally, he sits down in some green pastures. And he says, I'm all right. Everyone, all your stones, boom, they're all bread. And now they all got this bread in their hands and they're eating their fill. And Peter's got just his little stone. And he's like, ha, 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 man, I missed that one. <laughs> so he pops the bread in his mouth while everyone else is eating. He's like, man, I'm hungry. I'm starving. So Jesus, all right, let's get up. Let's keep going. Hey, I want you guys to all grab a stone for me. 
And Peter's thinking, oh, 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 I got it figured out now. So he grabs the biggest stone he can find. He throws it up on his shoulders. All the other disciples grabbed another stone about the same size. And he's carrying, he's barely able to keep up with the group. He's all the way in the back, just carrying the stone uh, for Jesus. And they, they get to the point where they sit down and they come across this crick bed. And Jesus says, all right, now I want you guys all to grab the stones and I want you to throw them into the crick. And Peter's like, well, Jesus, okay. So Peter throws it into the crick. He says, all right, let's keep going. And Peter has this moment. He's like, wait, Jesus, hold on one second. What was that about? You just had me carry this stone all this way, and then you told me to throw it in the creek? He says, when Jesus says back to him these key words that I think you need to take home today, he says, Peter, who did I ask you to carry that stone for? He said, I wanted you to carry it for me. I wanted you to do it for me, not for yourself. And that's where we see the heart of the older brother. We see everything that he was doing was for himself. And so this time I can uh, welcome up Keys up to the front. And uh, the problem with this stone is that we expect our goodness to pay off. And if it doesn't, we are left confused because we felt like the rewards of God were not based upon the grace of God, but the works of me. And it's important for us to have a healthy perspective of that, that he freely gives. He freely gives. Because now we're going around and we're seeing other people walking in certain callings and certain giftings and we're comparing ourselves to them. And we're thinking, if I can just live better, then God can use me. Which isn't the case. God wants to use you right where you're at. That's the beauty of his grace. That he wants to use you no matter how far you've gone or how close you've think you are he still wants to use you it wasn't about the stone it wasn't about doing things for the father it was the fact that you are with the father see we'll always feel that we are owed more than what we are getting if we have this perspective we'll think after all i've done why is this person getting it not me there was this man this composer Named Salatari. He was a rival of Mozart. And he came before the Lord and he prayed and he said, God, if, if you make me the most talented musician and composer in the world, then I'll give my whole life over to you. I'll, I'll serve the poor, the sick, the needy. I'll, uh, I'll be pure and, and uh, you know, I, I won't give my life over to anything else other than you. And for a while, his life was going fairly well. You know, he was, he was teaching lessons for free, you know, and he's fairly talented composer but then Mozart comes around Mozart obviously gifted by God Salatari had a an identity crisis so God here Mozart is living the way he lives and I'm doing this for you God why aren't you giving me the ability to create this music like you did him and at that point the biographies say that he became an enemy of God that he despised God and then he, his life went over the deep end. He just completely threw away his religion, his pursuit after God, because it was contingent on what God could do for him. So his relationship was workspace. God, I, I've been slaving for you and all this stuff, and you never gave me anything. But the father saw the heart. See, it makes a competitive comparison spirit. 
That's how the older brother identified his relationship with God. He, you know, sometimes we look at our lives, though, and we think, well, God, I, I, you know, I'm pursuing you, but at least I'm not that bad, like that person over there, right? Knowing that God's grace also covers that person, too. The problem is, is now we start to create camps. As we have these camps of we're the, the moralists and we're doing what God has called us to do, and we start to prop ourselves up and we start to think we're, 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 we're better than we think we are. And we don't realize that both camps are still sinners in need of God's grace. And so what this causes us to have a judgmental spirit on the ones that run away from God. Well, I never left God. You're close to him in person, but away from him in his presence. You're away from him in spirit. You're doing the things that God has asked you to do. Yes, but you've missed the heart. He says, all these days I've been slaving for you. So his relationship was based off of what God could get him, not out of the joy or love that he had for the Father. There was this, this lecture about these, these Harvard business students, and they were talking about honest business practices. And there's two reasons why you should have honest business practices. Is number one, if you lie or cheat, you could get caught. And number two, if people know they work for an honest business, it boosts morale. Those are good reasons, but the problem with those is that it promotes a self-centeredness. That the reason why you are honest is because it benefits you. So it's motivation not based out of love, but based out of promotion of self. A better perspective would be, no, I have an honest business practice because I trust my Father in heaven to provide for me because he's called me to be an honest person. The moment that there comes a point where there's no way you could ever get caught, guess what? Your boundary's getting tested. The moment that it, it actually esteems the team to not be honest, guess what? You're gonna cross over that line. See, for us to have this type of heart that is a true heart before the Father, not that of the, the older son, what we find is that as, as the story goes on a little bit further, that the older son stays outside and the younger son actually came inside. And I feel like this is a spirit for our city that is hovering over this city and it's, it's predominantly one of an older son that looks at the world and says everything's wrong with the world. So then you have two little camps. So you got the moralists that are saying, if we could just get everyone to live this way, then everything would be great. And then we have this, it's kind of like a progressive camp that it says, well, no, the problem with the world is everyone that's kind of living that way and they're actually the bigoted people. And really, what, there's two different sons and we still see them in the world today. And what I feel we need to confront in this city is that tension, that spirit that we see happening. And before we do that, though, we need to confront it in our hearts first. And so we see that the older brother comes to the son and or comes to the father and says all these things about the son and the problem I think what was going on in verse 15 verse 26 this is where I think it all began is that when he's coming he heard singing and dancing so he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on he didn't take the time to go hear it for himself I can't tell you how many times that I've assumed someone's motivation or what they've been going through or what they've come from only to find out that I was wrong. 
And I tell you that every story is unique and every story matters to God. So for us, we cannot jump to conclusions about people's lives and where they're at in their journey. Write this down today. This is the one thing that I want you to write down is that you don't know until you take the time to listen. He didn't know. He didn't know his son's, his brother's heart. He didn't know that it was like, God, Father, I screwed everything up. He says, this son of yours, that was still his brother. It was his brother. I think that we got to be able to have that perspective that when we take the time to get to know someone, see, it helps you have the heart of the father towards them. He would have seen his brother's repentant heart. The brother didn't even want or think he deserved to be called a son again. And the older brother threw a label on him. Because that's the brother he knew in past experience. See, one of the best forms of love we can give to someone is not in the form of a gift, but in the form of understanding. So we seek to know where they have come from. That if you really knew, if they really knew how much you have overcome, just to be here this morning, they wouldn't be judging, but they would be celebrating with you. What I'm saying is that many of us have gone through and are going through various difficulties. But what if instead of us asking, why are they like that? Or why do they always seem down? Or Maybe instead of asking that, like maybe they're in some physical pain all the time. And maybe just even walking around hurts. So instead of asking like, why are they like that? Maybe asking this question, how are you doing? How are you doing? And that question can, <laughs> it can be really like light. How are you doing? And then you unload their whole mat. Well, that's not what I really meant. But it's really the sincerity of your heart asking the person, how are you doing? So the older brother, if he would have taken the time not to ask the servant what was going on, because we can do that all the time. I can go, and, Skyler, what's going on with Genesis? Skyler has her interpretation. But the best way to do it, Genesis, how are you doing? Right? Now, Genesis aren't gonna, and I are going to have that conversation on stage, but... It's just an example. Genesis might want to, I don't know. (laughs) I ask you this question as you stand to your feet. Is there room in your heart to seek to understand? See, we're here to help reunite Reunite a broken world to a loving father. He's our father in heaven. and desires all of us to come to him. If we take the moment to understand, I believe that's what's going to transform this city. Not from us sitting up here, expecting everyone to be on their best behavior. What I find is that we have forgiveness for sins that we struggle with. But when we see other people struggling with other sins, we crucify them. And the heart of God that we need to have within this church is one that has room for people's failures. It has to have room. God has room. Do you have room? Are we going to have the heart of the older brother? 
So I've been doing this with God for a long time. It's not about that. We are both, if not for the grace of God, in the same camp. So let's not ever get that mindset thinking, well, it was about me and what I did for God. So now God's doing all this stuff for me. And if you're good enough, then God will do something for you too. No, 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 no. That's not the case. Can I tell you, this church is going to be marked by one that always has room for people that are in different parts of their journey. There's always going to be room here. So I don't care no matter how far you've gone or how close that you think you are. We're all part of God's family. We all have been sons of God at one point, so no matter how far you've ran. If you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Eli, a part of this message is speaking to me and that I feel like I've ran away from the Father. Or maybe you've never even known the Father. Can I tell you that you can know him today, right here, right now. There's a prayer that I want to be able to lead you in. And in just a moment, I want you to lift up your hand because I want to know who I'm praying for. This is a prayer that says, God, I've ran away from you for a while. Today's the day that I want to come back to you. And it's an acknowledgement for man, but also before God, most importantly. But then also there's another person in here that has never even known God or given their life over to God. I want to give you that opportunity today. So if I'm speaking to you today and you say, Pastor Eli, I want to know who God is. Would you lift up your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Shoot up your hand. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.